Before we begin, I'd like to proudly mention our sponsor, Injitsu.com, providing remote at-home training from some of the world's top MMA fighters. These classes are not pre-recorded. These trainers come to you live and coach you for the duration of the class. I've personally taken a few of these classes, and I've never felt so inspired and accomplished in a workout session. They'll leave you both on the floor in exhaustion, but wanting more. There are still slots available for online classes, so head over to injitsu.com slash richardlistens to get your first class free. That's I-N-J-I-T-S-U dot com slash richardlistens. I'll see you there. I'm a big fan of MMA sports. It's rough and elegant at the same time. I think my number one fear of stepping into a ring like that would be protecting my teeth. Luckily, the guys over at Impact Dental Designs have created an amazing mouth guard that is state of the art. These mouth guards are currently being used by some of the best MMA fighters, but even better, they can be tailored to any sport. Football, hockey, boxing, soccer, the list is endless. Head over to impactdentaldesigns.com slash richardlistens to get 20% off your order and a free customized design for your mouth guard. Hey, everybody, and thank you for joining me. This is Richard Listens, and this is the Richard Listens Show. I'm grateful for all the wonderful contributions and guests we've been having lately. Thank you again to all my subscribers, for all of you who've been signing up for email lists, signing up on our Patreon.com page to support the show, Patreon.com slash Richard Listens, Instagram at Richard Listens. Please tweet at me. Instagram, Facebook, sign up, subscribe, and listen. Please take the time, send this to two friends that you think might like the show. Without further ado, I'm going to be inviting on shortly uh, my guest today. She was, since the age of three, into competitive figure skating, and now into her adulthood, she's transitioning into psychology, which Dr. Richard knows a thing or two about, this resident extraordinaire <laughs> psychologist. But without further ado, we have Lena Chamil. So, Dr. Richard, why don't you tell our audience how we met Lena? Well, uh, we've talked about our fabulous day with Dr. Ken Ravis. I know you're all jealous right now. I want to attend probably the next time he invites everyone to his right? home or training in a hotel, but mm-hmm. even meeting other professionals in the in the field, I get I get such an appreciation for how special that truly was. Especially since the Cubs have seemed to do nothing but win since that day. I know. But yes, we met at a sports psychology consultant training with Dr. Ken Ravisa of the Chicago Cubs, a world champion, uh, reigning world champion Chicago Cubs, and learning about how to work with teams and individuals and. Uh, the whole growing burgeoning field of sports psychology. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing to meet people. We had, uh, you know, one of our former guests who works with equestrian, a lot of people who work with golf and to meet Lena, who herself is an athlete who then wants to go into the world of helping athletes. And it's just, it's just like so many light bulbs start to go off and it's inspirational to know how much knowledge you have within you than to, to transpose onto others. Yeah. It's a very full experience that I've had. I feel like every day and every 
other experience that I come in contact with, even meeting with people and even within that day of our day with Dr. Ken, it was fantastic. I learned something new about myself and how that experience in figure skating really, really turned me into who I am. It's It's been plentiful. When I heard that you were a figure skater since a young, young age, mm-hmm. on this show, you know, we talk so much about youth and sports and the relationship between the parents and the child, like how much they support them, how much they push them or how much they don't support them, mm-hmm. the relationship between the youth coaches and the youth. So here you are, a living, breathing example. So give us a little taste of your history. You know, you started when mm-hmm. you were three, like how much was your desire? How much did your parents push you? How much support did you get? Let's hear the story, mm-hmm. Lena. Well, I started when I was three. My mom took me for fun in Pasadena. I mean, I grew up here in, so- in Southern California and many people would be surprised that I had this huge or long career in figure skating because, you know, in Minnesota or in the Midwest, that's just a part of their school curriculum. You know, they do PE and it's skating or hockey or, you know, synchronized skating. So yeah, we found some skating classes. She took me for fun and I just enjoyed it more and more and wanted to go back. And that turned into private lessons. It turned into local competitions. And before you know it, I'm a teenager, you know, competing in qualifying competitions every year and making it all the way up to senior ladies, which is the highest level in figure skating, doing triples and flying spins and, you know, intricate choreography with footwork. And so it's been a really, really, really interesting. We talk about there's not too many photos of me on the internet of, of, you know, skating. I think I'm dating myself a little bit because when I was performing and skating and competing, we really weren't, you know, on the internet all that much. And it wasn't as popular. Um, so back then, and because now you see in competitions, people are doing quadruples and they're doing triple axles. And so that the sport is just evolving like no tomorrow. It's it's amazing the athleticism that's involved. So I talk about the athleticism and along comes with injuries, right? And so those also happened and it's just the name of the game. And you talked about support recently and in, in youth sports. And I think that's, I was lucky enough to have that kind of support from my parents and my coaches and, and other skaters, actually. Because that's a key thing. Like we don't think of, of figure skating as like a, a team sport. Mm-hmm. You know, you're out there doing a lot of routines by yourself unless it's mm-hmm. tandem. Right. Parrot skating. S- yeah. Parrot mm-hmm. skating. Thank you. For sure. the, I'm learning the, the, the jargon for this is part of our journey too. Of course. Yes. So, yeah. but do you show up to the rink for practice and have the same, you know, girls or the same coach? I mean, did you early on start mm-hmm. to feel like you enjoyed, you know, both other kids or, or going there with mom? Mm-hmm. I'm assuming she was the one who was taking you. I mean, she was. Yeah. So was that special in those, those early years? Def- yeah. Going with my mom would take me early in the morning. Sometimes my dad would take me. We're talking about like 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning before school. And so, yeah, we have those early morning drives and then drives to school. But you end up growing up with the same like cohort of people and of other skaters from when you were five years old all the way up to teenage years. And in my region, we were, the time that I was competing, we were a very, very strong competitive group. Whenever we would go on to sectionals or even nationals, our skaters were at the top ranking. And I felt like whenever I performed the best was when I had uh, a higher camaraderie with my fellow skaters and with the girls that I was training with. I mean, we all had our separate coaches and we all had, you know, our separate 
trainers and we would train on our own path and our own journey. But at the same time, we were there together. We were chatting, you know, on the boards and we we're getting yelled at because we were chatting on the boards. Um, so we made it fun. But I felt whenever I performed my best and whenever I ended up ranking high or placed, you know, first or second, it was when I was having fun, you know, and I think that's that that calls to and speaks to the support that you surround yourself with. Yeah. And certainly mm-hmm. when you're having fun, you probably want to stick with it more. I mean, did you get to any point when you were like hitting early teens where you were like, do I have to do this, mom? Or Well, yeah, because some skaters, they're so involved and so dedicated. And I believe you have to be in in the sport of figure skating. You have to get the, in the in the rink six days a week, you know, for a couple few hours a day, um, maybe even more. And you're added the ballet classes, you're added the jazz classes, you're added, you know, all of the other components that make you the full, you know, package, including weightlifting and the circuit training. And so all of that time is is there. And so when we are, you know, allotted all of that time, you get to really try to figure out where your place is exactly if you want to be doing this with all of your time. You know, some of the other skaters, it's so, you know, dedicated that they do homeschooling. And so they can have all of that time without going to class, without going to regular school. And I was not one of those people. I went to regular high school, but I was allowed to stay at the rink for homeroom. I wasn't, you know, involved a lot with my school activities, but I made sure I was involved with student government during the day. You know, no other sports after school. It was always back to the rink to skate or to the gym or to ballet class. So it got a little difficult, a little challenging to get up that early every day. But at that point, I feel like the parents and the coaches, they're there to kind of push you and, and to give you that strength to continue. But also there's those times with injuries where it's just really, really difficult to what come back. What was the earliest uh, injury you had? I broke my ankle learning one of the, I think, hardest jumps to learn in skating is a double axle. You take off on your forward edge and on your forward outside edge and you swing your leg up and you turn around two and a half times and you land backwards. Wow. Mm-hmm. And I came down and my toe pick got stuck in the ice, but my body kept rotating and I Yo. broke my ankle. Mm-hmm. Yowch. So that happened at age 12. And trying to get back into competitive form, it was difficult because with girls, uh, puberty hits around that time and your body doesn't feel the way it used to. So that is actually where I was introduced to sports psychology. Oh, really? Did mm-hmm. you actually start meeting with a psychologist at that time? I did. I did. Wow. It was. Uh, were you resistant or were was it a welcome thing to you? It was a welcome thing. I really, really enjoyed sitting there and talking to somebody else that was not my parents, that were not my coaches, not my other fellow skaters. It was somebody else that was there just to hear what I had to say and to help me understand myself and what I was going through. Yeah, that must have been such a challenging time at that age. Mm-hmm. And then to when you've always done something so proficiently, all of a sudden to have a period of either inactivity or rehab mm-hmm. must have been really confusing. It was definitely hard. It was definitely hard. I would come back and would see my cohort of skaters. They had improved and it was really difficult to come back and see and feel like I wasn't adding up. I wasn't measuring up. So it was hard. But you did get back to competition level or? I did. 
I did get back to competition level. I've heard that when you do get injured, the time that you're off, it takes that much time to try to get back to where you originally were. were. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that was pretty true to form Add a few weeks. (laughs) But but I did get back and I had another injury when I was 16. I had stress fractured my back. And so that was a little bit harder to come back from. It wasn't as clean as like that six to eight week, you know, being off the ice. It was come back slow. If it starts to hurt, you have to stop, you know. And so that was really, really affecting my my confidence. It brought up a lot of anxiety. It brought a lot of uh, apprehension when I was going in for those double axles right. and if troubles. If I do this, is this going to mm-hmm. be the thing that causes me more pain? Mm-hmm. And that was an on-ice accident as well? It was. It, and that was just a compounding, you know, experience of falling and twisting. And because you're you're falling hundreds of times a day trying to learn these jumps. So. So there you are, you're 16, and now you have even a more complicated injury. Mm-hmm. So at what point did you come back again, or at what point do you kind of, quote unquote, retire from competitive figure skating? That usually happens around that age where you're kind of come face to face with, okay, what do I do with my life? You have to really think about that at that young age, and that's really difficult. I did come back, though, but I tried to get back to where I was, and I did, but unfortunately, I just was not progressing like I wanted to trying and trying and trying and and putting so much effort into it at the age of 20 I decided to I decided to quit mm-hmm. pointer was that a really internal decision how did that come about you know unfortunately I did not still have a psychologist at that point it at that at that moment when I was going and talking with the psychologist it was more of oh let's do this for just at this period of time I would have loved to continue it was kind of like that quick fix idea let's get you back out there mm-hmm. let's get you well exactly let's get you well, let's get your mind right. Let's get back to competing. And once I felt like I was competing right again, that's when it stopped. But yeah, at that time, I feel like my identity of being a figure skater, it was really, really, really tight. And it was so strong that it was really hard for me to to stop or to come to that decision. I think I, I knew it was time about maybe a year and a half to two years before that. So it took a while. What do you, what do you talk about with this 20-year-old athlete? that is facing the precipice of, you know, a lifelong passion. So there's a lot of grief there. There's a lot of, you know, probably some things that you wanted to accomplish that was hanging on to. And to make a space for that to be okay, there's probably a lot of fear of uh, who, who am I if not this? I mean, if when it's from four years old, that is your entire identity. So I'm, I'm probably thinking there's a lot of similarity in uh, figure skating and gymnastics. Mm-hmm. But uh, just as she's gotten to in her own journey, I'd be curious about, right, what did she know? Notice what did she learn from these injuries? What did she learn from how she liked? Would she still like to stay connected to the sport? Are are there ways? I mean, it doesn't have to be this kind of like you're cut off and ostracized from the community. I mean, this has been where she's met coaches, friends, mentors. So the fact that we've, I mean, it may take some time to get there in the, in your process, but the fact she's gotten in her journey to this place of I want to help other people or mm-hmm. even young adults. I mean, those two main issues. I can't, you know, obviously, you know, being a male, but from female to female to be able to talk to someone at that level of athletic development about body changes, about puberty, about socialization. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like some our former guest Chris Stretch said, knowing that the exact client that you need to have is you in a way um, is so profound because nobody else has that vantage point. And as great as your parents may have been or coaches, maybe they, they couldn't have known what was going on entirely inside of you at that moment. It seems like everyone these days is trying new workout systems. 
Some people go to the gym, others may run, but I've recently discovered a great in-home method that is absolutely amazing. I'm taking in-jitsu classes online where I'm being trained and pushed in real time by top MMA fighters straight from the octagon. Injitsu.com provides real-time classes so you can get a top-notch workout from the comfort of your own home. These classes are absolutely going to sell out. So head over to injitsu.com slash richardlistens to get your first class for free. That's I-N-J-I-T-S-U dot com slash richardlistens. Protecting your child's teeth is important in any sport. That's why Impact Dental Designs has put so much thought into their state-of-the-art mouth guards, protecting athletes in youth sports, all the way up to advanced MMA fighters and champions. And the best part is you can customize your own design for your own creative and fun mouth guard. So head over to impactdentaldesigns.com slash richardlistens. And if you purchase now, you get a free customized design and 20% off your order. So I, I want to help people extract that and make it safe for them to discover. And, and it's never just this really smooth process that happens, you know, like an exit interview. It may take some time and there, there's probably mm-hmm. got to be some sadness and frustration. And like Lena said, hopefully I'd be talking to her over the process of time as you weigh the pros and cons. The decision is not always clear. Maybe they're going to give it one more shot. Maybe it's one more competition and they're noticing along the way different things in their preparation or greater fear. And, and you know, they're just not willing to do certain things or put themselves at risk in quite the same way. Maybe thoughts about the future become prevalent, thoughts about their long-term health. So in the end of the day, it has to be the athlete's decision. It has to be Lena or whoever, Mm -hmm. you know, the next Lena is their decision in some level that uh, they're choosing not to do what they've always done. And like, like Lena's mentioning to us, there is a little voice going, maybe I'd like to do a little something different in the morning, or maybe I'd like to attend a few birthday parties or, or you know, there's some other things uh, relationship wise I'd like to, to move on with or, or career-wise that I mean it's not like they're living just in that bubble of competition they're still human they're they're, they're athletes they're mm-hmm. they're in the community and you know this is a great example of, of you know someone wanting to go back to school and continue learning about the whole athletic experience and injuries I mean there's so much to be learned from that about prevention about how to take care of yourself and, and how to recover and what it does to your brain I mean so many of our guests talk to us about what it's like when you go through that injury you know for the average observer we just see someone oh they were in the last Olympics and they were there in the last competition six months ago, a year ago. We have no idea uh, what's happening when they're they're isolated and at home, and we just expect them to to reappear in the same form, mm-hmm. uh, or when the pitcher can't throw at 100 miles an hour after Tommy John surgery, and you know because we're invested as a fan, we're not quite empathetic to what their lived experience is. What I really, really took away from what you just said is even the fact that you began it with grief. Like I wasn't thinking about that at all. Like you know, you think about we've all had experiences in our lives and stuff, but when you have to leave something like that behind, it's so easy to ignore that you would feel grief over it, you know, or, or want to like say, I, I don't want to identify with, you know, that feeling or something, but you have to get to the core of it, man, right? Yeah, I think because the, the strengths that make an athlete and especially, you know, Lena, someone working so hard from an early age and having to really, you know, like you said, fall a hundred times, that tremendous reserve and resilience is can work against you in these moments where it's like, well, right, is this going to cause long 
long-term damage to my my spine I, you know is this going to mm-hmm. affect my ability to to be a parent or or how I would be as a parent so these kind of questions require shifting to kind of a different gear which may be a real challenge been always prepared to go out there give your all and fearlessly fly through the air in order to land that jump mm-hmm. so it can be hard to tap into those different you know they've been kind of turned tuned off intentionally for competition so we're tapping into kind of different resources you finally came to the t- determination that I'm not going to be a professional ice skater and right. so now you're at the point where you are a doctoral student to become a psychologist give us a little bit about the bridge in between you mentioned that you've been a stunt skater in some movies but give us that bridge leading to how you decided to get into psychology well when you talked about grief you really hit it on the nose it was very very difficult for me to transition out of sport and I feel that is a huge challenge for athletes who have been in such this kind of dedicated atmosphere and environment for such a long time and it took me a long time to transition just where my head was I remember going through this questioning of who I was who was I if I'm not a figure skater anymore who was I if I didn't go to the rink who was I if I didn't have my skating friends to hang out with and so but at that time I was just really I didn't know I was grieving and I blocked it out I didn't watch skating on TV I didn't go to the rink my mom said well why don't you you know teach a little bit why don't you go back to the rink and you know teach some group classes teach some private lessons and I said no I don't want to be there it was it was really really hard for me and so after probably about five to seven years I decided to go back and start teaching an older coach of mine uh, invited me to come do choreography for his students and so I've been teaching and coaching ever since I still coach and I'm coaching private lessons and synchronized skating teams and I've I'm having such a wonderful wonderful time with it and just really helping my students find the joy in who they are are as a figure skater, but also who they are as them, you know, and that the kind of journey I've been on to and I've been on and getting into psychology, I decided to go into clinical psychology and not just sports psychology because I wanted to eventually and ultimately help athletes really understand who they are as a whole person, not just as the athlete, because with the athletic identity, it could be either you have to have that in order to succeed and perform well and to really have that um, the gusto out on the field, out on the rink. But also it could be a hindrance to who you are as an individual because it doesn't last forever, unfortunately. But with athletic identity, it you can carry it through your whole life. You know, you can be, you know, that scholar in school, that valedictorian, but that happened in school. You know, we're, we've got a very experienced psychologist here, Dr. Richard. And to my right, we have a doctoral student who's going to become a clinical psychologist. And I think it'll also be interesting for our audience to hear a little bit about what it takes to become a psychologist. It's a long road, you know, like I don't even know a lot about it, but just tell us where you're at in the process and then Dr. Richard finish where she's going from here. That would be great. So I have my master's uh, degree. I entered the doctoral program about uh, three years ago. So at this point, I finished all of my, my curriculum, my classes, and now I'm applying for internship at the moment. And so I will be graduating in two years. And
And then a year after that, sitting for my licensing exam and hopefully to be licensed within three years. Change the regulations a little bit, but I think depending on the school, they carve out for you to get 1,500 of those hours. I think at least 1,500 have to be done after you graduate. So you can get up Mm -hmm. to 1,500 before, depending on the experience you want to find. Sometimes Mm -hmm. people wind up with more because they want to get a lot of different types of experiences. But sometimes Mm -hmm. people who are really targeted with where they want to work get a jump start on those hours. And it's really hard to know to predict because sometimes you wind up or something in life. Uh, in my case, I was getting hours at a, a drug addiction center and then there was a family illness and I had to stop. Mm. So you think you're going to be on this uh, path, but it, but it wound up opening me up to a whole nother realm. So the whole plan and who you meet and who inspires you, I just came from a fantastic conversation right now where, you know, someone who's trained in, in trauma work and I said, gee, you know, maybe you can come work with me. So the, the beauty of eventually becoming licensed and going through these steps is that, again, you get to connect to students, you get to mentor others. And there's an exciting part of that process of staying really fresh with new knowledge, with that passion. Because the challenge for any of us as we get going in this field is that it becomes, I become more of an administrator. I become more of a a liaison to an insurance company. I become, you know, a report writer. And so being a supervisor is, you know, or being connected to people who are in the licensure process keeps me fresh. And so, you know, that that is part of the, the mentoring process. And hopefully what what Lena's going through, it's both learning about, and not everyone has this reservoir that Lena already carries with her of such a rich lived experience and a direction for where they want to go. A lot of Mm -hmm. people study psychology and get out of the degree and they haven't lived. So, you know, and other people have lived and go back for degrees, you know, later in life. And so there's no cookie cutter process. Unfortunately, right. but, but it I mean, sounds like she has a really clear plan and it, and it can be done. You know, the goal is to give you a couple of different places to get experience, I think, while training for the exam. And the, the exam, it remains questionable how much that measures, uh, how much you know versus right. uh, certain kind of benchmarks that they set out for you. How do you survive to get to the point where you can finally fly free and hang your shingle? Well, thankfully, you know, if you're someone like Lena who can, can continue teaching or doing something, a lot of, a lot of people. Once you have a master's degree, can teach, uh, or you can get paid as an assistant, as an intern. You can charge clients and begin seeing clients. Uh, so clinics or private practices will do that. So that's that's a great way that I learned uh, to pick up clients. I have certain clients that have stayed with me to today uh, that I had from 14 years ago as an intern. That doesn't mean they didn't stop or take breaks, but yeah. you know. So I think that's it's great, great that who I was without or just with my beginning knowledge. On some levels, there's still a connection there. there relationship is what builds. So it's really the opportunity, like Lena's saying, I just need to be in front of people and to have this knowledge within both myself, what I want to do with them, and and I want to be able to help them in some way. And we just start out with that that innocence and the pure. The, the degree, you know, means that we have a certain amount of training and a certain amount of knowledge. So yes, it does mean that someone's attended four years post-undergraduate uh, plus completed a, a dissertation if they're a PhD or a doc project, I think they call it if you're a PsyD. So there is research research involved, there is time, there's commitment, there's learning about trends in the field. And then there's 3,000 hours of being supervised and being kind of guided. So that does mean that, that there's a level of professionalism attained, which I think is you know what sets, sets psychologists apart. And first of all, thank you, Dr. Richard, for sharing that because <laughs> we, we kind of take it for granted. We have like this amazing psychologist right here on Richard Listens, but we never really get to hear about you know the inner workings of it and stuff like that. And especially like at the place you're at now, trying 
trying to find that line of staying fresh between just being a guy that's the liaison with the insurance and a supervisor, like keeping it fresh and finding new patients, getting into you've transitioned from the clinical side and being on skid row to working with athletes and, and different people like that. It's you got to keep it fresh, right? Yeah, for me, the, the honing process continues. It doesn't end after licensure, figuring out who you are, you know, is con- what's going to keep you balanced, what's going to keep you in the stress regulation uh, zone, not getting too affected by, and that can happen initially as an intern or can happen, you know, if you were in stressful situations early in life, like athletes are, like Lena is saying, you know, not many people get that. But having that experience teaches you, your system, okay, Skid Row was, was too overwhelming for me. I didn't have the, the skills or feel like I could make the difference that some people could. So I'm trying to find the way, both through the populations that I treat and the people that I treat, where I can make the greatest difference and feel the greatest rewards. So I think there's this constant kind of tweaking and sharpening the saw that goes on. And it's a constant, I'm constantly a student. I'm constantly seeking out mentors or you meet people that mm-hmm. like Dr. Ken that share things that you're like, wow, I want to be a little bit more like him. Or if I mm-hmm. could have that courage just to get in front of world champions and just be myself. Right. That's really what I learned. You know, as much as he had professional resources and materials and uh, a doctor of education, he was thoroughly the same way he was in front of his, his friends and his wife, he was in front of us. And that's a beauty of authenticity. So I think the great thing about being exposed to great leaders and mentors is that you go, okay, well, wait a minute. Maybe I either need to trust myself more or I need to borrow a little off that. Mm-hmm. That's why I love this this field is because as you evolve, then your work will evolve. And the people that you come in contact with, they're going to be so different. And you're just going to look at your field in a whole new lens. And I find that so exciting. We like to inspire and motivate our audience here, you know, mm-hmm. with tips and and. You're a very inspiring individual. Like it's not easy to do what you did as a child and then a teenage athlete, and then to go on to pursue your dream of becoming a psychologist. And in between, you've started a family. So talk to you know not only not only the females out there, talk to the people out there. What is it inside you? Like you know, we talk also here a lot about that driving force inside people. We all wish that maybe when we're younger, someone might have shared nuggets of knowledge with us that we learned later. Share with us some of those, like, you know, talk to the young girl out there who wants to do something that people maybe say, like, you can't do. Like, what, how do you drive yourself and motivate yourself? Well, I feel that doubt and fear, that's going to be there. So that's okay. And to feel that it's okay to be fearful. It's okay to doubt yourself sometimes because you're not sure what's on the other end. You're not sure what it's, what's going to turn into. And that is very, anxiety provoking, but it's there. But then there's also other people there that have done it. They've been over that hurdle. They've gone through that journey and to have to seek out the mentors. You know, I, my dad would always say, the, if you seek out a mentor, they want to help you. They are biting at the, are chomping at the bit to help you. Like you were talking about, Dr. Richard, how you learn more about yourself when you are in that supervisor role or the mentor role. And, um, and you're being taught by the student. And so, but also to get connected and to get that support um, and to try to talk to as many other people as you can about where you want to go. 
Um, because to still have that fire within you, it's going to be there and listen to yourself. That gut feeling that you have inside, it is there. And sometimes it may dim, but it's there. So try to magnify it. How do people reach you, <laughs> Lena? They can reach me at lenachamil23 at gmail. And that is L-I-N-A-C-H-M-I-E-L 23 at gmail.com. It's an amazing story. Thanks for sharing your wisdom and inspiration. And yeah. there's just no doubt that you're going to make an amazing psychologist. You already feel thank like you. wise beyond your years in psychology. Well, thank you so much. I look forward to it. And I appreciate you having me today. And it's been so great. Thank you. Beautiful uh, sharing that the idea of having a dream and having a passion, having a goal, but also for being okay when you're younger and older. You have doubts and fears. That's what makes you human. And it's okay. You don't have to just try and cut them off. You know, let people guide you. That's that's the beauty of all that. Because even in a sport where you're working individually, we still have others to help us. Thank you all for tuning in. I appreciate it. Please, if you can, check out my Patreon page.com, patreon.com slash Richard Listens or Instagram. Instagram, Richard Listens. Uh, you get the theme. We appreciate all your support and interest. We're now up on iTunes, Spotify. If you're interested in therapy, teletherapy, any kind of consultation, please don't hesitate to reach out to me through my website, richardlistens.com. I'm happy to help and support in any way through any kind of strain, support, or isolation you are going through. We are here to alleviate strain and suffering. Thank you all for tuning in. I'm Richard Listens, and I'm out. I'm a big fan of MMA sports. It's rough and elegant at the same time. I think my number one fear of stepping into a ring like that would be protecting my teeth. Luckily, the guys over at Impact Dental Designs have created an amazing mouth guard that is state of the art. These mouth guards are currently being used by some of the best MMA fighters, but even better, they can be tailored to any sport. Football, hockey, boxing, soccer, the list is endless. Head over to impactdentaldesigns.com slash richardlistens to get 20% off your order and a free customized design for your mouth guard. Lastly, I'd like to proudly mention our sponsor, Injitsu.com, providing remote at-home training from some of the world's top MMA fighters. These classes are not pre-recorded. These trainers come to you live and coach you for the duration of the session. I've personally taken a few of these classes and I've never felt so inspired and accomplished in a workout session. They'll leave you both on the floor in exhaustion and with a drenched shirt. There are still slots available for online classes, so head over to injitsu.com slash richardlistens to get your first class free. That's I-N-J-I-T-S-U dot com slash richardlistens. Take care, everyone.